The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast. It is Thursday, March 10th. Our episode on Orin and Orson just came out today, day after my birthday, like I said. It was Happy it was birthday. a great one. <laughs> Thank you. I'm officially 31, very old. My boss asked me if I was 22 today. I don't know if he was just trying to be funny or what. But <laughs> I was like, no, I'm 31. <laughs> but yeah, had a great time. Thank you for the birthday wishes to the people who wish me a happy birthday. Like I said just a second ago, our episode on Orin and Orson West came out today. And that we have not an update, but just like a little note side note on it. it. Yeah. So when I was editing the episode, I was watching some clips. I found one newer clip. And this isn't something that we've seen mentioned very often. I know you filed this case kind of closer than I did since the beginning. You even said like you've never heard of it. So remember, it was like a big thing that Orin and Orson, they were out on the patio playing with chalk, allegedly. And even some people and journalists were like, well, there was no chalk drawings on the patio. And we're like, well, what a rookie mistake. Hello. So allegedly, they have a dog named Chalk. But a lot of people feel like this could be a lie. But apparently, according to Trezell, the kids were outside playing with their dog Chalk. I feel like it's strange. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's true. It could be true, I guess. But I feel like to me, it sounds maybe like this is a bit of a cover-up story when he realized that there was actually no chalk drawings he's like oh but actually our dog is called chalk you think otherwise he would have just said playing outside with the dog like that would be exactly that's what i was gonna say like Um, he never in the interviews he never prefaced it like like i wouldn't just be like oh you know i was just hanging out with peep i'd be like oh you know i was hanging out with my cat peep like i wouldn't just assume that people would know peep is my cat so i feel like it's just weird that in the interviews he's done and i watched a bunch of them while editing he never like prefaced it with oh our dog chalk or like they were outside with the dog it was always just like the kids were playing with chalk when when you google it like there are some discussions online about it being a dog um there's as far as i know it isn't actually confirmed that the dog is chalk but i think maybe yeah as you said trizelle has kind of alluded to it in later interviews that they were playing with the dog named chalk but I don't know. Seems yeah. kind of suspicious. The only clip where I saw it specifically mentioned was just from a couple months ago, and it was the News Nation one. Yeah. That they were as part of their like renewed missing people thing after Gabby Petito. So it was pretty recent. And they were the ones to be like the kids were outside playing with their dog chalk. But also, even when he's talking about how like he went inside and outside, he was looking for them, the gate was open. Like he was never like, oh, chalk was still there, or, like the dog was missing too, or like the dog was still here. Like I'm wondering, that's what I'm wondering. Like, I know that they still have the dog, but like, wouldn't you think you'd include that also? Like, if the dog was also missing, like, the dog got out of the gate too. Yeah. I mean, we all you know that, that story is a lie at this point, but. It would be a, a good detail to include if you're trying to cover up something, be like, oh, but the dog was still there, but the boys weren't there, or the dog wasn't there, or, you know, whatever. So, yeah, it seems like a bit of an afterthought to for the dog to be called chalk. <laughs> Could very well be, I don't know, but it just seems very strange. Yeah, and there's some, like, crazy YouTubers out there, again, who are, like, filming the dog calling Chalk to see if the dog answers to try to debunk oh the mystery, God. but... And there's, I, we'll I actually did, I did read some comments about that, and they were, de- like, debating if you call any dog with, like, enough 
inflection a dog in your calling voice. voice. <laughs> like, hey, hey, it'll come to you. <laughs> like it's going to fucking look. <laughs> it's like, wait, that's not my name. I'm not going to turn around and look. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel like I could call my cat something different but similar and like the same tone of voice I would use and they would still look. Well, imagine like I have 50,000 nicknames for my dogs. Like I call them a new name sure. every day and they always come. <laughs> yeah. So. so we just wanted to include that i mean no one's pointed it out to us but i figured yeah. it was kind of just something silly to include just um to have like a full full disclosure so we're all on the same page here about chalk. the possible <laughs> the dog that's allegedly named chalk <laughs> also weird dog name i know like it's like calling your dog pencil <laughs> and he's not even like white isn't he gray I don't know. I haven't actually I think, seen a photo of the dog, but I could be lying. But I'm pretty sure he's like gray or like a darker color. So it's not even like he's a white dog. I could be wrong. Please don't like yell at me. It could have been like a stock photo of a dog that I saw. <laughs> In case anyone doesn't know what a dog is, they included a stock photo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so since the the scammers, the social scammers, was such a hit, we decided maybe we'd do another kind of lighthearted one. You know, with the state of the world, it's nice to break up all the sad stuff with like things that are a little more silly. I mean, they're not really silly considering these both these cases were a huge fucking mess. But nobody really got hurt. I think is the main thing. The only people who they only hurt the taxpayers. Yeah, well, yeah, that <laughs> and themselves. So, <laughs> but yeah, you know what I mean. It's not murder. It's not dead families, dead children. It's it's a little more lighthearted. But we actually had already had the idea of doing this episode and we're making a list. But with the big, huge news in the Sherry Papini case, that was like a big fucking surprise to me that this finally happened. We decided that this was the perfect time to do an episode about faked kidnappings and faked disappearances. Um, we're going to go over two today. We're going to do Sherry, since that is a big one at the moment. We're also going to do Madison Bell, which happened recently and was also like a big hysterical mess on social media for some reason um there's a few others but we figure kind of like the social scammers thing this could be like an ongoing theme episode just to break up all the sad episodes every so often hannah potts was another big weird one where she faked her own kidnapping because she wanted to write a book maybe we'll do that one next time but we couldn't fit them all in today so we're going to start off with sherry and then we're going to get into madison in their faked abductions sorry if that's a spoiler but the name of the episode i'm guessing <laughs> she made it all up that's the bombshell allegation leveled today against sherry papini the mom whose supposed kidnapping in 2016 as she jogged riveted america prosecutors now say papini's headline making story was fabricated sherry papini was reported missing by her husband keith bring her home safe there's a fifty thousand dollar reward bring her home 22 days later, on Thanksgiving Day 2016, she was found wandering, bruised, dazed, and branded. She claimed she'd been kidnapped at gunpoint while jogging by two Hispanic women. But now, cops say Papini faked the kidnapping. They say she arranged for an ex-boyfriend to pick her up while jogging and drive her 600 miles to his home in Costa Mesa, California. During the entire time the nation was looking for her, Papini never left the ex-boyfriend's residence, the criminal complaint says. So Sherry Papini was born Sherry Louise Grafe on June 11, 1982. So that made her 34, to, 34 at the time of her kidnapping in 2016. She has been married twice. Her first marriage was to a man named David Dreyfus, and they divorced in 2007. 
Sherry married her husband, her current husband, Keith Papini, in either 2009 or 2012. I've seen it reported as both dates, so I'm not entirely sure which is correct, but it was around that time. And they have two children together, Violet and Tyler. The couple lived in the Redding area of California in 2016, and I believe they still live around there. Keith was working at Best Buy at the time. I don't really know what Sherry did or does. I've seen that she's an entrepreneur and you know, whatever. I, I don't actually know if she does much, but... In the videos I watched today, they just said she was like a full-time mom. I don't yeah, know if she did before that, though, but... I don't know either. And yeah, so anyway, whatever she's done, in, if she's done much in her career, it's not really online. So the date of Sherry's alleged abduction was November 2, 2016, which was a Wednesday. Sherry took the kids, who were aged two and four at the time, to the daycare in the morning. Later that morning, Sherry sent Keith a text asking if he would be home for lunch. He later told the media and he said, I received a text message from her at 10.37 a.m. that day asking me if I was coming home for lunch. I usually don't bring my personal phone in on my job, so I didn't respond to that message until 1.39 p.m. that day. Keith arrived home from his job at Best Buy at around 5 p.m. and he you know, straight away noticed that neither Sherry or the kids were home and he became worried. He called the daycare center and found out that the children hadn't been picked up. So Keith said, knowing that she didn't pick up our kids, there is no way that ever happens. She could drop her phone, but she would never in a million years not pick up our children on a time that she normally would have. So it seemed pretty out of character for, I guess, Sherry's daily routine. She had never, ever forgotten the children before. Keith used the Find My Phone app and he got a hit for Sherry's cell phone. He drove around and found her phone and her earbuds at the intersection of Sunrise Drive and Old Oregon Trail, which was around one mile from their home. I pulled up, I I saw our our car there, and I opened the door expecting my son comes 100 miles an hour (laughs) right at me, and then usually uh, Violet right right behind him. We do what we call our family snuggles. (laughs) I looked in a few different rooms and I couldn't find anybody. I thought, okay, maybe maybe they're outside, and um, I looked around outside, but at the time I was like, eh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're all together. You know, I had no reason to believe otherwise. I did the, you know, find my phone app and it showed where her phone was. So I assumed that's where she was. And I assumed that the kids were with her. Where did the find my phone app show that Sherry was and you thought with the kids? On uh, near our mailbox, which is a ways away. It's about a mile away, actually. Are you worried? Not quite yet. So the earbuds were wrapped loosely around the phone and there were strands of Sherry's blonde hair attached to them. Keith then called the Shasta County Sheriff to report Sherry missing at 5.51pm. I have seen it written in some places as 7.51, so I was going to include them both, but then I saw on the actual GoFundMe, which we'll go into in a bit, it does say 5.51. I feel like that's probably the correct time if you do see it written another way. 911, what is your Uh, emergency? Hello, can I help you? Yeah, um, so uh, I just got home from work, and uh, my wife wasn't there, which is unusual, and my kids should have been there by now from, like, daycare. So I was like, oh, maybe she went on a walk. Um, I couldn't find her, so I called the the daycare to see what time she picked up the kids. The kids were never picked up, so I got freaked out, so I hit, like, the Find My iPhone app thing, and it said that her, it showed her phone, like, at our end of our driveway. We don't have really good service. Okay. Um, Not the end of our driveway, but the end of our street. I just drove down there, and I saw her phone with her headphones because she started running again. And it's her, I found her phone, and it's got, like, hair ripped out of it, like, in the headphones. 
So I'm like totally freaking out, thinking like somebody okay, like what's just grabbed her. Okay, what's your address? Ready. What, okay, what's your last name? Yes. Papini, P-A-P-I-N-I. And your first name? Uh, Keith. Um, so police arrived and began their investigation into Sherry's disappearance. Witnesses reported seeing her wearing a pink running jacket and jog- jogging on Sunrise Drive. And another one said they saw her at 11 a.m. and the other one said it was 2 p.m. So Sunrise Drive, where she was seen jogging, is also where her belongings were found. So I guess it was a bit late that night to kind of start the search and the search really ramped up for her the next day, which was November 3rd. California Highway Patrol carried out aerial searches and police started to do checks on the 290 registered sex offenders who lived in the area. What? I know it's a lot. I guess maybe it's a very, I think it might be quite a rural rural area, so maybe that's very mm. spread out. It's a large area to kind of search. Yeah. Um, Sherry's sister Sheila told the media that they believed Sherry had been abducted. By the next day, which was November 4, a $10,000 reward had been established for Sherry's return. One day later, November 5, the reward was already at $50,000. So within you know, two or three days, they'd already got it up to $50,000, which is a good effort. Before we get into the rest of the episode, this episode is sponsored by Ana Luisa, who offers high-quality jewelry at affordable prices. Their unique designs will make you feel empowered, elegant, and at your finest. Their prices start at $39, and our listeners get 20% off. I'm super excited for the stuff that I ordered. I got this really cute, daintier kind of necklace that has a little safety pin on it. It brought me right back to when I was angsty and emo in high school, middle school. Loved safety pins, all about it. So definitely a callback to my youth right there. I've ordered a beautiful Gemini um, pendant and necklace, gold. It looks very fine, delicate. It's a little bit different to the jewelry I've usually worn, so I'm really, really excited to get that. Sucker for Zodiac stuff. Love it. Me too. (laughs) All the time I always order that type of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. There's new jewelry collections released every Friday, and they make amazing gifts too, especially when they're 20% off. They're also a carbon-neutral company from the packaging to the product, and they care about their impact on the planet, which is always a positive. So go to shop.analuisa.com slash society. That's shop.analuisa.com slash society. You can enjoy 20% off the entire Ana Luisa website today. That's at shop.analuisa.com slash society. We're sure you'll love them. So a few days later, November 9, 2016, police announced that Sherry's husband, Keith, was not a person of interest in her disappearance. They said that he'd been cooperating and he'd also passed a polygraph test. They said there was no physical evidence linking him to the case. On November 13, Sherry's family hired a private investigator to look into the case and the FBI joined the search for Sherry just a few days after. So this gives you an idea of how seriously they were taking this. They really thought she'd been abducted. The FBI became involved. There was so much manpower, you know, hundreds and hundreds of searches looking for her. She really, I guess, pulled the wool over everyone's eyes. I feel like she's kind of the case where like missing white woman syndrome mm-hmm. like regarded because she's very pretty, long, really blonde hair, like big blue eyes, kind of like similar to Gabby in a way of just like everyone. She's just pretty. So everyone's like infatuated with the case. And that's kind of why I feel like it blew up so much because she just looked her and her family looked so perfect. And, you know, people just yeah. get obsessed. Definitely. I agree with that. Um, so around that time, Sherry's mother, Loretta, spoke to the media. She said, I believe that she was abducted, that someone knew her, someone took her. She wouldn't leave her babies and she wouldn't leave her family like this. 
She went on and said, somebody has taken her and we just want her back. I don't care what the cost is. Just give us information or do something. If they want money, you can have money. We just want Sherry back. So I remember with this case, there was some weird kind of interjection by random people, um, people who didn't know Sherry. It was just a bit strange. I'm guessing maybe because she was so attractive, so many people became invested in the case. Yeah, it was one of those ones that was like a lot of hysteria and sleuths and internet people like doing too much. So on November 17, an anonymous person set up the website sherrypapini.com and they offered an undisclosed ransom for her immediate release. They set the deadline at 5 a.m. on Wednesday, November 23rd to get the money. They put a letter up on the site and it instructed, quote, the person who has Sherry Papini and they also named Cameron Gamble as the middleman. So I forgot about him till I started research this episode, but he basically inserted himself in this case. He said he was a kidnap and ransom consultant and that he was acting independently from law enforcement and the family. Um, so you might see, like, there's a lot of videos and things like that about him and his kind of involvement in this case. Let's bring in Cameron Gamble, a self-described kidnap and ransom consultant. Tell us, first of all, how you got involved in this case. Yeah, I was actually, um, I was out of town most of the time while Sherry was uh in, in captivity, but I was brought in by uh, an individual who knew me in the community for speaking uh, on specifically human trafficking a few years prior to this. She had called and asked, uh, she was a mutual friend of the family and asked if I could come in and just consult with the family and just kind of give my opinion as to what I thought had taken place. So what was your approach going to be and did you find that Keith and other, that family members were skeptical uh, that it could work? You know, I really only uh, talked to Keith about it. I didn't really speak to any of the other family members. And and uh, Keith, at that point, like he just said in the video, he was absolutely willing to try anything. And uh, we felt like this could work because when you get to that point of desperation, you, you do try to, to do whatever might possibly work. And, and it did work out. Um, but Keith was, was all for it at the very beginning. As a matter of fact, it was Keith who brought the ransom, kidnap for ransom um, idea to me via the individual who came forward with all the money. Now, no money ever exchanged hands, correct? That is correct. So why do you think that this was at least part of the reason that she was released? Well, if you just look at the timeline on this, I was, uh, there's a couple things going on here. One, I was the only one willing to go public and put my reputation on the line and call it for what I believed it was, which was an abduction. Um, at, alongside the family, they believed it was as well. So we released the first video. It goes viral on, on uh, both on a social media side as well as just the media outlet. And then that was our point, was to get it to go viral to, to show that there's an option here for these abductors. And then when the ransom wasn't, wasn't uh, taken up on, we gave them another option, and that was just let her go. You, have, you can just walk away from this. And if you don't, just so you're aware, there's a bounty now. And as I stated in the video, that's not something I control. It's not a threat. But we are willing to take all this ransom money and add it to the pot for those who can bring us to you, whoever you are. And then you have less than 24 hours later, these abductors just let her go. Sheriff Tom Pazenko said at the time there was still not enough evidence to classify the disappearance as an abduction. He also cautioned the family about taking this ransom approach, as he said they could become targets for scammers. The website is gone, but I'll put some screenshots from our favorite site, The Wayback Machine, (laughs) on the blog. Um, It's got a big photo of Sherry smiling. The title of the website says, Ransom Reward for Sherry Papini, Private Citizen Offering Cash Ransom Payment for the Immediate Release of Sherry Papini. And then it goes into talking about it. 
It says, I set up an email address and disposable phone. I don't want anyone to know who I am. Um, I don't know. I suspect it was probably Cameron Gamble who put up this website. Maybe. That would be <laughs> I didn't thought. think of that, but that would make sense. <laughs> anyway, so that was the website that was started at the time. There was also a GoFundMe started to raise money to assist in the search for Sherry. I've seen a screen grab on the archive website. It shows that they had raised 40000 out of a $50,000 goal. I think the end total was around 49000 and they raised that in just over a week after she disappeared. This is kind of a comment I picked from the GoFundMe because it gives you an, an idea of how invested people were in this case. Just a random person wrote, I would love to have a banner or sign made for Sherry to post in my yard. I have an acre and a half that runs along I-80, the main thoroughfare between Sacramento and Reno. Thousands of cars pass by daily that would see it. If anyone has suggestions on how to get one donated, I would be very honoured to display it. Then the person goes on to say, I joined the search party Friday and posted flyers through the night on Saturday on my way back to Sacramento. I feel so helpful and I want to do anything I can, very helpless, and want to do anything I can even being so far away. Thank you. Bless this sweet family. So there was many comments along those lines, people wanting to help do whatever they could to find Sherry at the time. On November 20, 2016, which was around 18 days after she was last seen, police announced they had served 20 search warrants and had investigated more than 400 tips. So Cameron Gamble, who we spoke about just before, he spoke again on November 22nd and 23rd. He said he believed the abductors were, quote, still in decision-making mode. Rod Rodriguez, who's Keith Papini's stepfather, said on Facebook that if the deadline expired without information, the money would turn into into a reward. Cameron Gamble never said how much the abductor would receive, but he did say that anyone who got Sherry home would get a six-figure sum. So Cameron also posted a new video the day after this, saying that the ransom had been withdrawn and the money would be combined with the $50,000 reward that was previously posted. So as I mentioned before, many people kind of questioned Cameron's intentions at the time and why he was so involved in this case. Um, This info is from an article about Cameron from the Daily Beast back in 2016. It says, But Gamble is no expert. Instead, his resume suggests an obscure self-defense coach who appears to have inserted himself into a woman's disappearance to parlay it into fame and fortune. He made his first appearance in the Papini case on November 18, more than two weeks after she disappeared, where he uploaded a video to YouTube and said, My name is Cameron Gamble, and I am an international kidnap and ransom consultant. While Gamble was working on the donor's behalf, he also was planning his own future. Records show that he registered CameronGamble.com on November 20, which is when Sherry was still missing. So, you know, the insinuation is that he was trying to use her disappearance to get famous. It's just kind of a weird side note to this case. It doesn't really end up being too important in the end. But at the time, it was very odd. I also feel like, is there that many like ransom situations where we need a ransom consultant where that's like his job title? I feel like I've never heard of like a real ransom situation where they're like, give us this. Like, I know it happens, but I feel like it's usually a lie and like the person's dead already or it's just like a serial killer, like being a dick. I feel like nowadays the ransom stuff doesn't really happen. They actually had no reason to believe that she was being held for ransom because as far as I know, there was never any contact made by the alleged kidnappers. Like, I don't know why. They were the ones offering the reverse ransom. (laughs) Very strange. So on November 24, 2016, which was 22 days after Sherry disappeared, a passing motorist spotted a woman on the side of the road in Woodland, California, which is around 150 miles south of Reading. It was at 4.30 a.m. 
The motorist assisted the woman and called police. Sherry had been found. 4 a.m. and Allison Sutton happens to be driving down I-5 North, one of millions of Americans on the road to visit family for Thanksgiving. I was in the right-hand lane and I saw a woman frantically waving what looked like a shirt trying to flag somebody down. She had like a wide-eyed, panicked kind of look. I was startled to see her. It was dark and she pretty much just came out of nowhere. If I had swerved to the right the least little bit, I would have hit her with my car. I figured if she was willing to risk being hit by a car, trying to get somebody's attention, that she must really need some help. I pulled off and I dialed 911. 911 emergency. Rescue workers raced to the scene. The silence of the early morning now filling with sirens and the crackle of radio chatter. Attention station eight, unknown medical problem. It's gonna be a northbound I-5, female needs medical attention. It's going to be uh, some sort of an assault. At 10.31 a.m. on that day, the sheriff's office made a statement saying that Sherry had been reunited with Keith and had received medical clearance. He spoke again at 2 p.m. that day and he gave the media some details about Sherry's kidnapping. He said that the captors were two Hispanic women with a handgun and they were driving a dark-coloured SUV. One of the captors left her alongside County Road 17 off the freeway where she was bound by restraints. She was treated for non-life-threatening injuries and released from a hospital in Yolo County. He didn't say anything about if she'd been sexually assaulted. So Sherry is very petite anyway, but when she was found, she weighed 87 pounds or 40 kilos. She had been branded apparently and had her nose broken and her hair had been kind of hacked off. Keith spoke to the media later about the you know, alleged branding. He said, no, I read it, but it's a really confusing Bible passage. It's like a really weird part of the Bible. It doesn't make any sense. So as far as I know, details of what the alleged brand were have never been made public. And we'll speak about the brand a little bit more later because they go into it. We find out a little bit more as time goes on. Now, after that pre-dawn phone call, Keith is breaking every speed limit to get to the hospital where Sherry's been taken. The entire like hospital was like on lockdown. Eventually, they opened the door. The woman who's behind the curtain doesn't look like the wife and mother smiling back in countless family photos. One of the officers kind of like braced me and kind of put his arm around me and he said, uh, you know, prepare yourself. Um, she's alive and you, you just got to be happy. They branded her. So I just wanted to see her. So I, I just ran past everybody and I, you know, throw open the curtain and she was there in a, in a bed and her poor face. And I just hugged her, I just held her. I felt like I hugged her for like 20 minutes. I was so happy that she was there and, and I was just kissing her all over and then I got like nauseated just looking at her. It was so hard for me to see her like that. And, Keith, a couple of times you said her face, her poor face. Yeah. What did you see? The bruises were just intense. The bumps from, you know, being hit and kicked and whatever else. Everybody gets a bruise once in a while, but not these types. I mean, these were hard to look at. Her hair, she's always had very long blonde hair. You know, they, they chopped it off. I just need to know, because I, I was worried that when you first said her face, her face, that they didn't brand her face, right? 
I will say that no, it's not on, not on her face, no. She lost almost 15% of her body weight oh, yeah. in 22 days. Oh, yeah. That is traumatic physically. Oh, yeah. It made me sick that there is people out there that could do something like this. Um, Sherry was found with both male and female DNA on her. Neither matched her or her husband. The FBI ran the DNA through their database CODIS and found no matches. When Sherry was asked for details about the abduction, she said, quote, I don't remember a lot. I'm missing time. The car smelled really bad like sewage. She stuck me with something. I kept falling asleep. Very vague story. Would you, um, I should have asked this before, but I didn't want to interrupt. Mm -hmm. Um, if you saw someone like waving cars down at 4.30 in the morning, would you stop? I, I wouldn't stop. I would call 911, but I wouldn't feel safe to stop. No, I agree. Like I know she's a small woman. Like I would have probably stopped up the road and waited and called the police, but I wouldn't have. And that's what the woman did. Like I, this is a kind of a separate story, but when I was probably about 18 and I just got my you know car and license and everything, I was driving home late one night and this man ran out into the road. Like we're, we live in like a very suburban area. So there was, you know, other cars and stuff around. I wasn't just leaving him by himself, but he was covered in blood and he was like waving me down. And I'm like, no huh. way. <laughs> Yeah. Um, 18-year-old girl, I'm not going to stop and let a man covered in blood into my car. So, um, no. But even if it was, like, a girl who looks like she's in trouble, like, you don't know who's after her and, like, they could hurt you or it could be a trap. Yeah, exactly. Especially at 4.30 in the morning when there's probably not going to be very many people around. Yeah. So don't we don't recommend it. No. Go stop a little bit further and call the police and lock your doors. So police gave more updates on November 25, which was the day after Sherry was recovered. Tom Basenko said that officials had no reason to doubt her story. He also said they were looking through surveillance videos and traffic cameras to identify all the perpetrators. On November 28, details about the 911 call made when Sherry was found were made public. People listening to police scanners said that they heard that Sherry was found, quote, chained to something. The sheriff, Tom Basenko, said that police never phrased it that way. He said, we weren't specific on how she was restrained. After being released, dropped off, however you want to refer to it, she walked to a nearby church and then no one was there. So she walked to the I-5 down Road 17 where she flagged down a motorist. Alison Sutton was a driver who said she saw Sherry on the side of the road and she called 911. She told the New York Daily News that Sherry didn't look like she was hurt, but she did look scared. She told the news that Sherry was waving some type of fabric for help and was not appropriately dressed for how cold it was. I think they said in the Allison Sutton said, and I think the police said, that she had like a chain around her waist, but she like wasn't chained up. Yeah. Because then then the husband was saying in an interview, because he like became her mouthpiece after this, that Sherry said to him like she tried to hide the chain because she didn't want people to think that she was like an escaped prisoner or something. And that the fabric that she had was apparently the bag that the people had, like, put over her head. head, And she managed to get it off. Yeah. Before we get into the rest of the episode, this episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Sometimes after a long day, I just want to put my brain on a shelf and not worry about anything. So I started playing a new mobile game called June's Journey, and it's the perfect way to distract yourself from all the stress of the real world. So you play as June Parker, who's an amateur detective. She investigates a series of mysteries full of twists and turns around every corner. 
You'll put your powers of observation to the test, sharpen your sleuthing skills, and relish the thrill of solving the case. The game is full of immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. Sit back, relax, and let your inner Sherlock escape to the glamorous Roaring Twenties, where you'll search for hidden objects to solve mystery after mystery across thousands of vivid scenes. And with new chapters every week, there's always a new case waiting to be cracked. I love playing June's Journey when I want to wind down at the end of a busy day. Finding the hidden objects is so relaxing, but the story really keeps my attention and makes me think, which is great because sometimes I have a hard time focusing. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective and join 30 million fans by downloading June's Journey for free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. So Keith issued the following statement to Good Morning America after Sherry was returned. He said, it's very, um, I don't know, I don't even know what the word is, very dramatic. <laughs> my first note in my little notes is, her husband is so annoying. The statement said, Sherry was taken from us for 22 days and suffered incredibly through both intense physical agony and severe mental torture. My reaction was one of extreme happiness and overwhelming nausea as my eyes and hands scanned her body, which the hands bit's a bit creepy. Inappropriate. <laughs> Especially when someone's in hospital with all these apparent injuries. Um, I was filled with so much relief and revulsion all at once. My Sherry suffered tremendously and all the visions swirling in your heads of her appearance, I assure you, are not as graphic and gruesome as the reality. The mental prison I was in over the past three weeks was shattered when my questions of my wife's reality became known. The officers warned me to brace myself. My first sight was my wife in a hospital bed, her face covered in bruises ranging from yellow to black because of repeated beatings. The bridge of her nose was broken. She had been branded and I could feel the rise of her scabs under my fingers. She was thrown from a vehicle with a chain around her waist attached to her wrists and a bag over her head. The same bag she used to flag someone down once she was able to free one of her hands. And then he goes on and he says, We are a very private family whom do not use social media outlets prior to this grotesque tragedy. My love for my wife took precedence and it was clear we had to be exposed in ways we would never have been comfortable with. So please have a heart and understand why we have asked for privacy. This will be a long road of healing for everyone. Ultimately, it was Sherry's will to survive that brought her home. Thank you. I wonder if he feels stupid today. Like... I I don't know like what he knew or if he knew anything. I don't think. I guess he passed a polygraph test, but like I don't know. He was so melodramatic and kind of annoying in all the interviews I listened to him t- of him today. Like he just really gave me like the ick. If that's like a good way to say it. Everything was as if it was like a shitty Lifetime movie the way he described it and like all of his quotes about like how he had to break the news to his kids and of course the kids said some like adult quotes like dad you can tell us anything like we know something's wrong i'm like your four-year-old didn't say this so on november 30 sheriff tom Pazenko spoke to the media again and he gave some more information about the suspects <laughs> he said one is younger with long curly hair thin eyebrows pierced ears and a thick spanish accent the other woman is older with straight black and gray hair and thick eyebrows The sheriff said he did not have specific information to know if the case was related to a cartel or human trafficking. He also told the media that Sherry's phone and earbuds appeared to be neatly placed on the ground rather than lost in a struggle. The screen was facing up and the earbuds were kind of loosely wrapped around the phone. It's not like they were just thrown on the ground, which you would think if that was an abduction. Yeah, it was like nicely, the earbuds were like nicely kind of wound up right on top of the phone. Like it didn't look like they were thrown or anything at all. Yeah. 
So as this story kind of started, you know, coming out more and more, more people began to find holes in the story. As they dug deeper, the situation got pretty shady. There was a blog post, which was, which was from 2003, um, which I know is a fair while before Sherry's disappearance, but it was apparently written by Sherry under her maiden name. Um, I'll put the whole thing on the blog, but basically it's quite a racist blog post. She talks about skinheads. I'll read out some of it. I won't read out the whole lot, but she says, I grew up in a small country town, Shasta Lake, California. My school was predominantly white. It was a small enough town that everyone pretty much knew each other. I was also known as a really good athlete and my dad had a reputation for being my biggest fan, but for also standing up against Latinos. Against. Like she could just get straight into it. Um, he even was often kicked out of the stands for getting in fights and defending himself when the, the Latinos would call him a Nazi. Seems that simply our simply being of German descent was a constant irritant to them. Um, so she goes on and on. She talks all in this blog post about different kind of experiences that she had with Latinos. She talks about one and she talks about skinheads a lot. She says, I totally agree with skinheads that girls should not fight. They should stand by their men, which is interesting as we go on to, not man, men. (laughs) So she talks about a time when basically she was attacked and her leg was split open and it was hard to walk. But she, you know, got on with it and walked up the bleachers anyway. And then she goes on to this. It says, two weeks later, I was closing the family pizza joint we owned when two cars pulled up. I instinctively knew who it was. Three Latino guys and five girls rushed in and jumped me. I put up a fight, but I was outnumbered. Jessie, the girl whose nose I broke, was with them. They kept hollering about how they hated skinheads, how all skinheads should be burned alive, and how I and my ancestors were all KKK. I actually laughed in their faces. I mean, they were so dumb, they were actually funny. How, how dumb can you be? So, like, she goes on about it. I'll just fit, like, I'll read the last bit because it's a bit interesting, I guess. Being white is just more, is more than just being aware of my skin, but of standing behind skinheads who are always around in spirit as well and having pride for my country. Being white is my family, my roots, my way of life. It's always there. There's no denying it. It's nobility and it's strength. I bet that she never got jumped by Latinos at the pizza place. Just like how I Especially bet she never got abducted times. by Latinos. And I guarantee, I guarantee she never broke anyone's nose. Oh, hell no. <laughs> like, it's just a very strange rant. It is a rant. There's no other word for it. Yeah. Um, it, like, it was just kind of interesting because a lot of the testimony and kind of witnessed you know, information that she gave was about the race of these two women. And she even said things like they had mariachi music on in the car and it was all very stereotypical. Yeah, it just like goes to further show that she clearly has a problem with Latinos. Yeah. So the sheriff spoke at the time and he said the police were aware of the post, but that they believed it was too old to be of any relevance to her actual kidnapping. In April 2017, so a little bit after she was abducted and found, records from 2003 emerged and it showed that Sherry had been allegedly self-harming and had tried to blame her wounds on her mother, Loretta. So the incident report filed in December 2003 reads, RP, which is Loretta, states her 21-year-old daughter was living with her and was harming herself and blaming it on the RP. RP states female is coming back to live with them and she wants advice. So it sounds like there's been a few things going on with Sherry over the years. This wasn't maybe the first thing. Seems like she wasn't mentally sound yeah. always. 
So in 2000, so the case kind of went really quiet and there was, you know, the occasional article, you know, there'd be photos of Sherry and Keith in a cafe or whatever, but, you know, nothing had really happened. In 2020, though, a criminal complaint was made against Sherry. The document says that Sherry had been staying with an ex-boyfriend during her, quote, abduction and had inflicted harm on herself to back up her false statement. The ex-boyfriend said that he believed Sherry was purposefully trying to lose weight while she was staying with him, and the DNA that was found on hers was the ex-boyfriend's. Phone records show that Sherry and the ex were seeing each other, sending flirty texts dating back to 2011. However, she continued to deny that story when questioned, and she kept sticking by her story about the Hispanic women. When she was interviewed, other various men found saved in Sherry's phone talked about her history of lying. The whole document is 55 pages, so we won't read the entire thing. I'll put it all on the blog if you want to read it. There are some very interesting facts and, you know, tidbits in there. It's a very detailed. It goes through the whole timeline of this alleged disappearance. So I really suggest that you go and have a look at it. This is one interesting bit I've picked out, and which is about her first husband. Investigators learned that Papini had a previous marriage to Man 3. Husband told two investigators that Papini married Man 3, who was in the military, to get medical insurance because of a heart murmur issue. Investigators located Man 3 and interviewed him on November 14, 2016. So this is when she was still missing. He confirmed that she and Papini had been he and Papini had been married in 2006 prior to his deployment overseas and that Sherry needed basically to marry him because she needed health insurance due to complications related to regular egg donations. He said that he and Papini never lived together and did not travel together except for once when she visited him in Japan. Um, when he returned from his deployment, Sherry told him that she had found someone else and wanted a divorce and he agreed. Sherry told the husband, the ex-husband, that her family had abused her while growing up and after the divorce he heard from mutual friends that she had a history of lying. So the criminal complaint also does state that Sherry's branding was quote indistinguishable so I'm not entirely sure what her husband was apparently talking about with it being a Bible verse and that he's read it and it was very strange if it was indistinguishable. I wonder why he would lie about that. Yeah um I saw one interview with like the main sheriff, I guess, and he was because it was before it came out, really anything what it was, and the reporters were trying to ask what the branding was, and the sheriff was like, "Well, it's not a symbol, and it's not really a phrase." And I could put the clip in here, but he was like, "It could be a message to her. It could be a message to us." <laughs> I was like, "This is the weirdest like explanation of what it could be." I'm not able to go into the specifics of what the branding. Uh, is, but it could be a number of different messages there. Right. And you know what the brandings were? Yes. Do they say something? It is not a symbol, but uh, it was a message. To who? It could be a message to her. It could be a message to others. I feel like it's probably nothing. It's probably something that she just tried to make a yeah. Bible verse and like, or, or it didn't a, come out very well. Yeah, so it's kind of... I don't really think that her, what her husband said about being able to read it was true. Yeah. So as of June 2021, Sherry's kidnapping was still unsolved. There was a $10,000 reward being offered by the secret witness of Shasta County for information leading to the arrest or conviction of the abductors. So I think, you know, everyone in the true crime kind of community just assumed nothing really was ever going to happen with this case. I think everyone knew that it was super suspicious, but that she would probably just get away with it due to lack of evidence or whatever. But on March 3rd this year, something good finally happened. (laughs) Sherry was arrested and charged with making false statements to a federal law enforcement officer, and she was also charged with mail fraud. 
The day after she was arrested, Sherry made an appearance before U.S. Magistrate Judge Jeremy Peterson. She was ordered detained as a danger and a flight risk until Tuesday, March the 8th at 2 p.m. for a detention hearing. Um, her next, besides her detention hearing, her next court date is set for March 18, so around a week away at the time of recording. Court documents reveal that Sherry applied for and received more than $30,000 from the California Victims' Compensation Board for her ordeal, which led to the mail fraud charge. Among the items that she was compensated for included therapy sessions for PTSD from the kidnapping, ambulance services, and also $1,000 for her to buy window blinds for her home. The Sheriff Michael Johnson spoke about Sherry's arrest. He said, Today is a great day for the Shasta County Sheriff's Office and for all law enforcement in this county. Sherry Papini cost public safety conservatively in excess of $150,000 in resources to investigate her knowingly false claims and staged abduction. Not only did this charade take valuable resources away from real criminal investigative matters, but in a time where there is serious human trafficking cases with legitimate victims, Sherry Papini used the tragic societal phenomenon to gain notoriety and financial gain. Finally, all of law enforcement in Shasta County was put on a national stage and subjected to scrutiny and criticism for handling this case. It has been a long time coming and we are grateful that our federal partners diligently pursued justice. So he really oh. yeah, pulled no punches there. He just said what he wanted to do. I saw an interview today with one of the sheriffs and who straight up just called her a narcissist because the reporter, I think it was like a Good Morning America clip and the reporter guy was like, why do you think she would do something like this? Do we have any motive? And he was like, um, I think a motive will come out during trial, but I, th- I think it's mostly because she's a narcissist and has narcissistic behavior. So I was like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, I really feel like that's spot on for Sherry. And I feel like her family enable these narcissistic, you know, tendencies. But I feel like even her fam- own family started throwing her under the bus because they're the ones that like came out and started telling the press about kind of like her crazy outbursts in the past where I feel like if they were trying to protect her, they wouldn't unless they're yeah. just trying to make themselves look like, whoa, like we're not part of this. They, Her family did release a statement that said, we love Sherry and are appalled by the way in which law enforcement ambushed her this afternoon in a dramatic and unnecessary ma- manner in front of her children. If requested, Sherry would have fully complied and come to the police station as she has done multiple times before where this could have been handled in a more appropriate way. Sherry and Keith have cooperated with law enforcement's requests despite repeated attempts to unnecessarily pit them against each other empty threats to publicly embarrass them, and other conduct that was less than professional. We are confused by several aspects of the charges and hope to get clarification in the coming days. So I saw that Sherry's sister, Sheila, did post that statement, but I think she's since deleted it. So I don't know what's going on in terms of the family dynamics at the moment. And that the family did also post bail for Sherry. I believe it was $120,000. So she's currently out of prison awaiting the next court hearing, I guess, on March 18. So since her arrest, some more information has come out about her abduction. So the man that Sherry was hiding with has come out. His name is James Reyes. James told police they did not have sex when she was with him and that she took over his bedroom while he slept on the couch. Uh, Two other men have come out and said that basically he had a relationship with Sherry while she was married after they met on a work trip. And the other worked with her at a youth program. um, And he said that she was, quote, attention hungry and made up stories to get attention. That is essentially kind of it up to date for Sherry's case at the moment. As I said, there will be um, some updates in the next few weeks, um, which we will keep you updated on as they emerge. I noticed, I wrote this down to to tell you and to laugh about it, that this is the one case that I've seen where the police said 
that um, the police said that the community should be concerned and exercise caution and awareness. Wow. They didn't say no no threat to the community as usual. No. In this case, there really was no threat to the community. Yeah, just <laughs> dumbass Sherry. But they did say that the community should exercise caution and awareness. And then I literally looked up what year the movie Taken came out, and it was like 2006 or like 2009, sometime before this. And I, I really feel like she saw Taken and was just like, hmm, I have an idea. <laughs> I feel like she was definitely trying to go with like she was going to be sex trafficked and like that it was like the cartel or whatever and just like it just didn't seem real at all. So in just literally in the last few hours since we've started recording there are there is another article from People that I'll list um, on the blog and it talks about the injuries that she had. It said ex-boyfriend said he helped her create some of the in- injuries although he never laid his hands directly on her. For example she told him bank a puck off my leg so he shuck shot a puck off her leg lightly. Um, He also said that Sherry asked him to brand her. He bought a wood-burning tool from Hobby Lobby and branded her her right shoulder. The ex-boyfriend said he was nervous and wanted to hold steady while doing the brand because the tool was so hot it glowed red. And it also says that Sherry kind of ended her abduction because she apparently missed her children. It's just so weird. Like, I wonder what he thought. Like, imagine if you – even if someone ran away to be with you and they're like, oh, can you brand me? He must have known – why did it take in the song to come forward? Yeah, exactly. Especially when it was like in the in, did he not like see the headlines of her missing? And when I feel it was like happening. He, I feel like he didn't come forward until the police contacted him and in, in the criminal complaint. So, you know, they've probably known about this kind of branding information for the last few years. But why didn't he come forward sooner? I wonder if he was still having some type of relationship with Sherry. She like bribed him somehow. I don't yeah, know. Maybe. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past her. So, yeah, that's like up to date for Sherry. I'll put all the information on the blog, her blog post, the whole criminal complaint. Make sure you check it all out because you can spend hours and hours on this crazy, mm. crazy, ridiculous case. Oh, wait. One more thing to say about Sherry. When... The news, Um, when I first saw the headline, I like messaged it to you and I was like, is this new? Is this real? Remember? Because I saw it like when I was trying to go to sleep and I wasn't sure if it was just like the reposting of like, you know, sometimes they'll repost like old articles and like make, try to make them seem like new, but it's really like nothing new. Yeah. And I was so confused because I just really did not see this happening right now. But we posted on our Instagram and we had so many messages from like a lot of people were like, I never believed her. Thank God, finally. But a lot of people were like, I'm so upset. Like, I really believed her. I feel bad for those people, kind of, but like, yeah, I, th- I feel like too. That's why, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what I was gonna say. But yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into the story of Madison Bell, I just want to tell you guys about the latest true crime podcast I've been binging. It's called Morning Cup of Murder. Love that name. So you remember those desktop calendars that would tell you about what happened on that day in history? Well, Morning Cup of Murder took that idea and turned into a daily podcast that now has over 850 episodes that dive into serial killers, cults, cold cases, murders, and more. Morning Cup of Murder is the best way to start your day because each episode is less than 10 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to while you're having that first cup of coffee or tea in the morning. So Morning Cup of Murder can be heard everywhere you listen to podcasts. Check out Morning Cup of Murder today. So now we're going to get into Madison Bell, which I feel like a lot of people, if you were like big in crime groups, you'd probably know this case, but I feel like it'd be like a 50-50 on if people have heard of it or not. The 18-year-old Highland County teen reported missing for days has been found safe. Madison Bell told her family she was going tanning on Sunday but never came home. WLWT News 5's Elena Batapaglia joins us live now where a massive search effort was supposed to take place for her today. Elena? 
Well, Molly and Curtis, I can tell you the community is sort of breathing a sigh of relief tonight because people really didn't know what to think when Maddie Bell initially went missing. But again, the good news tonight is that she is safe and a lot of resources really did go into the effort to try to find her. We had teams from Texas EquiSearch come in, a high level search and rescue organization for missing people. A local group, Rescue 101, was also involved, the FBI and many, many volunteers. We talked to officials about how much goes into an expansive search like this and if any lessons can be learned. Given the outcome of this, our resources were not wasted uh, and until this morning uh, when I got the phone call, she could have still been abducted. Um, therefore, it's not a it's not a waste of resources. And that's one of the things that I myself stress to law enforcement and other first response agencies. Now the family released a statement reading in part, we ask that the public and media respect our privacy during this difficult time while we are emotionally raw. We are just relieved to know Maddie is alive and not in physical danger thanks to friends and family who have been supported us during the most difficult time of our lives. And a lot of people donated money to the family during this search effort. The family is working on returning that money to everybody who donated. So Madison lived in Highland County, Ohio with her family. Her mother's name is Melissa, and Madison's boyfriend, his name is Cody Mann, he also lived with her family. Madison was 18 years old at the time this all took place in 2020. On Sunday, May 17, 2020, Madison told her family that she was leaving home for a tanning appointment. Her mom said, she just yelled, Mom, I'm going tanning. She said she always comes right back. She's not one to be a minute late without calling or texting or letting me know not to worry. When Madison didn't return home, her family got worried. Police were called and started the search for Madison straight away. They pinged her phone, and they found her car abandoned at a local church. The keys were still in the vehicle, the doors were unlocked, and her cell phone was inside the car. Never a good sign. No. The car was very close to where Madison went tanning. I think it was like the church was across the street or something, or it was like the same plaza-type situation. Yeah, it was literally like 30-second walk or something like that. It wasn't far. Yeah. Madison's case was full of hysterics from the start. People started commenting about strange vehicles that were seen at the church, where she went missing. One comment said, a white car with California tags was spotted at the church this morning. For some, Like we mentioned kind of earlier, for, for some reason, this case, it wasn't even that mysterious or anything, but it just was like immediate franticness from social media. Like everyone was very invested. Everybody was acting out about it. I don't really know why. You know why? I was just actually thinking while you were speaking why. I reckon it was because this was peak COVID time. Everyone was home. We were bored. Yeah, everyone was online. There was nothing else to do. <laughs> so, like, I feel like it just happened at the right time for everyone to be invested because everyone was available at that point. It was like the Tiger King of true crime. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. though. It everyone was, was acting was. the same way. Everyone was wild. I was thinking about it this morning before I recorded it, and there are some cases where people really do go wild. Like I remember Molly Tibbetts was a case and hers was a real actual sad case and murder, whereas, you know, there's just a few cases that seem to grab people's attention, and this was definitely one of them. So when her mom posted an update on social media, she said, we still have not found Maddie. She was last seen by us leaving home at approximately 10 a.m. to go tanning at Country Corner Market on May 17th, 2020. For some reason, she didn't make it to the tanning salon, which is weird because in an interview, an interview in quotes, when later when Madison is talking to random people on Instagram, she said she did go tanning. 
For some reason, she didn't make it to the tanning salon. Her car was found at the Good Shepherd Church located off 28 in close proximity to a corner market. I cannot give a description of what she was wearing. I was cleaning when she changed clothes and left and yelled, Mom, I'm going to tan. I'll be right back. She would never be even a few minutes late from wherever she was going without calling or texting me. A couple of people saw a tall white male, approximately late 20s to early 30s, who was in the church parking lot before 10 a.m. with a white car. They think a Nissan, but not confirmed. He had a polo shirt, and the car had California license plates, according to witnesses. The car was traveling toward, towards Leesburg area as it pulled out. Her car was found unoccupied, unlocked, windows up, keys in the ignition, and her phone was laying in the car. She would never leave these items in the car. We don't know how her car got there or if she was coaxed to pull in. As a mom, I'm thinking whoever this was flagged her down and she thought she knew them but didn't once she pulled in. And then the rest just goes on to about search party, please come home, Maddie. Um, thanks to all the family members and community for sharing a story. Um, please keep us in your prayers, the usual. So from there, her mother spoke to the media about how they discovered she was missing. She said later Maddie hadn't returned. She waited another 15 minutes and then started texting and calling her daughter. She didn't respond. I feel like that's a short time to go frantic, which is now it kind of yeah. seems like um her the mom is very much like a hover mom. Yeah, a helicopter mom, yeah. Yeah. Melissa Bell said she looked on the Find My iPhone app and Maddie's phone was showing up near the tanning place. I just realized that's two cases today where they <laughs> find my phone and that kind of led to the case beginning. And I feel like I heard another one recently where they were like using that too. So from there, the mom and Maddie's boyfriend, Cody, they were at the house and the two decided to look for her. They spotted her car at the Good Shepherd Church across from the market. The mom said it was the only car in the parking lot. We pulled in and the windows are up. Um, she said the car was unlocked and she opened the car door. She said, I noticed her phone laying in the car. Her keys are in the ignition and money that she had in the pullout thing was still there. Um, she's a typical teenager. She would never leave that phone. Melissa said Maddie never made it to the country corner market. She said she didn't sign in the two mornings before that she did, but that morning video surveillance doesn't show her car making it to the tanning area. She did not sign in. Highland County Sheriff Donnie Barrera also spoke about finding Madison's car abandoned. They said there's no reason so far that we found why she would have pulled into that parking lot. The sheriff's office has possession of the car and Barrera said they found nothing out of the ordinary. There's nothing disheveled or looked like it had been rummaged through or anything like that. He said, at this point, it didn't look like that there was a struggle in the vehicle. He said, we're treating it two ways. We're treating it as the family likes. They think there's possible foul play. And there's also the fact that some information we got hinted that she took off. Maddie's boyfriend also made a plea for her to return home safe. He said, I'll see you when you get back is the last thing I got to say. She's the most loving girl I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I can't even explain it. I just want her to come home. So Madison's case garnered worldwide attention, both from the FBI and the Ohio Bureau of Investigation became involved. On May 21st, police released information about a man they wanted to speak with in connection to Maddie's disappearance. Um, they released a missing poster, and it, set, it shows a picture of a guy wearing like a plaid shirt, a picture of a white Nissan, and says, Investigators are interested in identifying the individual in the below photos. This individual may have information related to the disappearance of Mass and Bell from Highland County on May 17, 2020. And then just says contact phone number. Quite a clear photo. He's wearing like a checkered shirt. He looks probably late 20s, white guy. Like it's, yeah. if you knew him, you would know. You could tell by that photo. Yeah. 
good quality. Hmm. So just one day after the suspect was made public, Maddie was found safe. Sheriff Barrera said that he had spoken with Maddie and that she had made the choice to leave and start a new life. Masson's friend made the following post. It says, Maddie is safe. Sheriff Barrera has confirmed that Maddie is safe. However, not sharing her location with family and friends. And then this part's like, to Maddie. Like, Maddie, once again, if you see this, I will never give up on our friendship. You've been my bestie for as long as we can remember. If I'm being honest, I was so relieved when I saw this. But I was also extremely hurt that you hadn't reached out to me to tell me you are safe. I hope you know and always have known just how important you are in my life. I hope that it has more to do with you being scared than anything. I hope that when things settle down, you will call me and that you are not 100% leaving everything behind. Your safety and happiness is the most important thing to anybody, but I want to be there to share in your happiness and know you forever. Sweet, sweet girl, you will always, always, always have a friend in me, and I hope you never, ever forget that. I understand your wishes right now. But I promise you, I would never do anything to compromise your happiness. Call me at some point, Maddie, whether it be today, tomorrow, a month from now. I will always be on your side. Please don't make me lose a friend. I love you so much, and I'm always going to be here. So Madison's family also made a statement at the time. They said, we ask that the public and media respect our privacy during this difficult time while we are emotionally raw. We are just relieved to know Maddie is alive and not in physical danger. Thank you to every single person who looked for Maddie, Maddie, and then they go on to list everyone. Thank you to everyone who donated on Maddie's behalf to assure we had reward money to offer for her safe return. Every single effort to find Maddie has touched us, and we appreciate it from the bottom of our heart. So then this is where things, like, really, like, take take a turn. <laughs> so after news broke that Madison was fine, she made a new Facebook name under the name Madison Noel Salmon. She made posts thanking all her supporters for all their love and compassion, and people really lost their minds over this. Some online sleuths made groups dedicated to her. They FaceTimed with Madison and her new boyfriend, who, which is the suspect that was in the pictures, and asked if they could donate money to her. Well, no. Did, were people, is it people were asking to donate money for her or Madison and him were asking for money? I think both. I think people were saying, because you know how that, like, there was rumors that she'd left home because there was things going on in her family. There was rumors about things going on with Cody and her mother and that she, you know, couldn't yeah. escape Cody because Cody had lived with her and, you know, she had no way to break up with him because he had nowhere else to go. So I feel like it was both. She definitely asked for money, but people also wanted to donate to her. Yeah. So should we? talk about like those rumors now or just yeah well we might as well yeah um but yeah so like olivia was just saying and i'll put there she did some like fake instagram live interviews with this like random girl who was one of the crazy internet people who like somehow became her quote best friend like they keep referring to each other as best friends the whole thing's really cringy even like in the interview they're like we should make a youtube channel like we'll make millions so the whole thing's really cringe and Madison also does not come off as this like sweet loving girl that the mom and Cody said she was. She's um swearing, coming off yeah. Very like wannabe thug almost, like wannabe super tough. Um, and I know, like I the guess- thing is too, I was thinking about it. She she was only 18, but in saying that, she caused a huge amount of fuss, make you know, police spent a huge amount of money, and she was absolutely at the time not taking any responsibility for it. She's like, F them, you know, it was Basically, yeah, it wasn't very nice. I did not leave my mom a note. I left the keys in the car. I left my phone in the car. I did not leave no note. I'm not comfortable telling the whole story, if you want my opinion. Thank you. That I was about to. Um, I didn't tell her because um, 
she doesn't need to know my business like I'm 18, so why? Why does she need to know? If I'm gone, gone. She was abusive, so I don't want to tell that I'm going. <laughs> exactly. She would have probably beat you to death. I mean, I used to have on my old fan, and I used to have all kinds of pictures, and he's seen them all. Oh, yeah. A single I, picture. I believe it. All right, she's like a psychotic monster. That's the, the Is best she, to explain it. That explains it. And about her affair with Cody. Yeah, I always thought they had an affair. Definitely, yeah. For sure. Cody did hit me um, a few times, but I really don't want to go into detail. Exactly. You're doing awesome, Maddie. Thanks. Yeah, and even in this clip, she's saying her mom, the mom was super abusive and crazy, which, again, we don't know if that's true or not. She says that the mom and her boyfriend, Cody, were having an affair, and that was true. Um, like just Cody, like a lot of... Yeah, Cody had lived with her since they were 13 or 14. So it was a very weird kind of dynamic in their house, you know, to have your boyfriend living. I don't know what at what point they became boyfriend and girlfriend. I'm pretty sure they'd been together for a few years, though. So imagine being 14 or 15 and having your boyfriend live in the family home with you. It would be very unusual. She also casually mentioned that Cody had hit her in the past, but she didn't want to talk about it. She said her mom's crying was so fake. And she said she didn't want... People were asking if she left her mom a note because that was like um, like a social media theory that the mom was lying and that Madison left a note. She said she'd never left her mom a note. And she said that she's 18 and didn't want to tell that bitch where she was going. So it's also like, yeah, you were 18. You didn't have to fake your disappearance. You could have just left with this guy like you wanted to and just told your mom like fuck you i'm leaving instead of making it like a whole big search like she knew and they admit to knowing that the police and all these people were searching for them it's not like she didn't know yeah and they let it go it wasn't weeks or but it was days at least in this case and they did spend a lot of money so so also in these um fake interviews that she was doing appeared the the suspect who was actually the new guy that she was seeing his name was zach salmon and i think he was like 29 years old yeah 29 years old he was only 18 which i guess isn't super crazy but still kind of eh but once we get a little further then it's like way more eh. <laughs> so she gave an interview to whio.com and she said i haven't talked to my mom I'm kind of afraid if they come find me, but they also can't do anything because I'm 18, so it was my choice. She said in an Instagram Live that she met Zach online five years ago. She said, I love Zach. He's amazing. He's so sweet. I never felt love like this before. And I think they met on like some online game like Clash of Clans or something similar, something weird. Online records indicate Zach was 29 at the time of the abduction, in quotes. If this is true, that would mean that Madison met him five years ago and that he would be 24 and that she would have been 13, which is awkward and illegal. <laughs> I'm just okay. waiting for that invite to the talk show. Yeah, we're waiting for the invite. Yeah, honestly, why do people f care so much? Like, leave me the f land. Like, I'm happy. And that's all that matters. I've been keeping in so much shit in my chest. I'm fine just letting it out because I don't care. I'm tired of, like, the hate. So, yeah. Um, we would, um, voice call. I'd have to sneak and call in. That was well after she was 18. Yeah, that was, yeah, after I was 18. We kept it docile, professional, and 
platonic. See, we known each other for four years, but when I was younger, we talked as friends only. Like, we played the game together. We would, like, help each other out in the game. Like, we wouldn't do nothing. We weren't talking about nothing bad. Go date him, then. He'd probably date somebody like you. You like abusive people. Yeah. Go date him and get the page. Sorry. Bye, Ma. Yeah, I don't know why you think you're cool trying to get on my page. You can block my... Yeah, block Nice try. And also, I think I remember, if I'm remembering rightly at the time, when they ran away to his house, didn't he still live with his mother? Yeah. Yes. So she's another person that didn't fucking say anything. <laughs> it was just a big old mess, really. Unfortunately, sometimes love just isn't enough. And on June 18th, so one month after the, the fake abduction, Masson's family traveled to Florida to collect her from Zach's home. This was really messy, and somehow, like, the private texts between Madison and Zach were made public, and she said to him, Hey, babe, it's Maddie. We wa- we got home safely. I wanted to let you know my decision. I've decided to stay home and work on my relationships with my family and Cody. Please go back and work on things with your mom. You both need each other. I can't throw my life away. I got here, and there are all these scholars and my diploma. I'm sorry. I'll remember us. Like I'll remember. It's so, like, middle school vibes. Oh, my God. Um, He said back to her, thank you for my closure. I will leave you alone forever. Goodbye. I will write you a note, but you've broken my heart to pieces beyond repair. Good life to you. I will commit suicide tomorrow. And then the next message, I love you. And then the next message, why the fuck you call me babe? I don't know. But I hope you find happiness in your secluded world. Goodbye. And then he sends another message. Could you please call me so I can hear you say that? My last request, I need to hear your voice telling me to go away. It's so middle school. Oh and then and there's a little he's clip. He's 29. He's only 30 yeah. years old. He's only like two years younger than me right now. <laughs> like I could, I could not imagine. One, I couldn't imagine like dating an 18 year old because like it is a pretty big age gap. But like 18 is really like still young. Yeah. Like a child basically. And like I couldn't imagine behaving this way. Like I definitely behave this way as like a girl in eighth grade. Not saying, like, I'm going to commit suicide, but just being so fucking melodramatic. I need to to hear you tell it to me. (laughs) I need to hear your voice say it. (laughs) And then there's, like, a little clip of her, what she said. It's not the full thing, but she said, no, catch the plane tomorrow. I'm going to block you because I knew you would do this. In that moment, I was like, that's the one moment where I was like, good for you, girl. (laughs) So Masson didn't end up speaking about her motivation for leaving. It's believed she felt pressured to have a relationship with Cody. Uh, she also, like we were saying, like made claims that her parents were, that her mom was abusive, that Cody was abusive. I don't know how true any of that was, or if she was just like trying to ma- like legitimatize her leaving to the world. I feel like, well, like I, I don't know, know if there was any actual abuse, but I do feel like her mother was very controlling and very yeah. you know, hovering in helicopter. So maybe, you know, that's part of it. Maddie just thought, I can't tell her that I'm going, so I'm just going to go. Her mom seemed annoying as fuck, to be honest, like not to be in the like not the least rude way possible. Her mom seemed really annoying. (laughs) Like she went tanning, had to drive to tanning salon, go tanning, which takes like at least 20 minutes. Yeah, put your clothes back on. And after 45 minutes, the mom's in a fucking panic already. Mm -hmm. Like, relax. She's 18. Anyways, coming from me who doesn't have children. Yeah, 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 I know. Masson said that Cody moved into her home at the age of 14. She was 13. She says that she always felt that the relationship with Cody was forced by her parents 
and she, for years, was trying to escape the situation. She mentions one time telling a school counselor about the situation of her and Cody living together, but according to her, nothing was done. Madison said that she never did tell Cody that she wanted to break up. So it's been almost two years now since Madison was, quote, abducted. Um, her social media accounts and her family members all seem to have kind of been removed, or maybe they made new profiles, changed names, so that creeps like us can't still stalk them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We did see a few months ago that she still had a Facebook page up, and it seemed like she ended up getting married to Cody, um, the boyfriend who she lived with and then continued to slander all over the internet. But not sure if that's true, but it did seem like they were back together, and like, I don't know how he would take her back after that, but I guess... Well, I don't know okay. how, yeah, Keith stayed with Sherry after all these multiple affairs and still, you know. She also claimed that the mom and him had an affair. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah, it's like, not just saying, oh, I didn't like him and, you know, it was, yeah, she said a she lot of mean that, things. If, if Maybe they were true. I doubt it, but maybe maybe they were true. Yeah, and she also claimed that he hit her. Who knows what's true, who knows that, but either way, it's just a lot. I think a lot of it was her trying to justify leaving. Yeah. Um, so that's the most we know on this case. I doubt there'll be any more updates unless they decide to pursue charges she, against her. Yeah, at this point, she hasn't been charged or anything like that. I feel like they no. said that she wouldn't be charged, which is kind of... I feel like you should at least have to, like, get a ticket and, like, pay a fine for... Absolutely. It's not like she, she, not, not like she lied, though. That's the thing. Like, she didn't lie to police ever. Well... But, like, yeah. she caused this. Yeah. Before we get into the rest of the episode, this episode is sponsored by FitOn. After being lazy all winter, I started feeling pretty unhealthy and wanted to get back on the right track, especially since I have a few weddings and summer vacation coming up. Going to the gym's hard. I hate going after work when I'm already tired, but going in the morning is just as hard for me because I'm not a morning person at all. That's why I'm so happy to have found the free fitness app FitOn. It gives me the convenience of working out at home anytime I want. FitOn is the number one premium free fitness app and it's redefining the workout experience. Text SOCIETY to 64000 to join FitOn for free. FitOn is flexible. You can choose from over 1,000 easy to follow workouts from all fitness levels or you can follow a customized workout plan based on your fitness goals. It has the widest variety of workout styles, including cardio, HIIT, strength training, toning, Pilates, yoga, kickboxing, and more. You'll never get bored. FitOn has a 4.9 App Store rating and more than 350,000 five-star reviews has been featured in Forbes, US Weekly, People, Women's Health, and more. Join over 10 million people getting their FitOn. Work out for free anytime, anywhere. Text Society to 64,000 to join FitOn for free. Text Society to 64,000. That's Society to 64,000. Message and data rates may apply. Terms apply. Available at fitonapp.com slash terms. So I think the motivations of both Sherry and Madison were quite different. For me, I feel like Sherry is really probably a narcissist and she did this just because she could and she could get away with it and she likes the attention of men and she likes the attention of everyone. Um, whereas I think Madison probably did it just because she's young and a little bit immature and felt maybe a bit trapped. I think it's... Both are like the main root is like attention seeking. Yeah, 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 but yeah. Just, I like do different agree. ways. Yeah, and I like obviously I feel like Madison kind of maybe didn't realize that it was going to blow up as much as it did, and when she realized, then she really became an attention seeker. Whereas Sherry, I feel surely had to have known from the start that this was going to be a big thing. 
Yeah, like, they're both attention-seeking, but, like, Madison's is more, like, dumb and not thought out, whereas, like, Sherry's the opposite and was, like, very thought out and calculated. Yeah. Madison, I feel, she probably was in her head, like, oh, I'm gonna run away, and then kind of didn't really think about the fact that her mom was gonna report her as a missing person, and then it was just gonna blow up into this big thing, and everyone was bored because of the pandemic, so then everyone lost their fucking minds about it. (laughs) I did read that if Sherry is convicted of the charges, she can face up to five years in prison and a fine of $250,000, and that's just for the false statement charges. The mail fraud charge carries a maximum of 20 years in prison and also a fine of up to $250,000. I feel like for all this effort, she really didn't even get that much money. No, like she they got, got thirty thousand dollars, and then less than fifty thousand from the GoFundMe. So she got less than a hundred thousand dollars, which, like, yeah, that's like a lot of money. I would want that much money, but like for all the effort and like the stress and fucking branding yourself, I don't think that was worth it. It's crazy even to think that after she came back from her abduction, she obviously still carried this on with the therapy for the PTSD from the kidnapping, and like she, you know, she could have probably just cut it, cut it off then and. It maybe would have faded into the, you know, background, but she really, really tried to keep this going, it seems like, for years after she came back. Yeah, and I think it's, I don't know, it's like a hard opinion to have because I don't know if I'm right or not, but I feel like it's weird that she literally never talked to the media, ever. Yeah, and just her husband seems to- Yeah, like he was the mouthpiece. Yeah. It's weird because he has actually been pretty quiet. Like he hasn't really, the family have made their joint statement, but he hasn't said anything since as far as i know they're still together as well he hasn't left her even after all these affairs have come out do you think he knew anything or i guess because he passed a polygraph test but i just feel like i don't know i don't think so i feel like he was really seems to have been um i don't know whipped isn't the right word but do you know what i mean like he would have done anything yeah. for her so i know wh- like- whipped is the right word <laughs> Um, like he, he's obviously known about this for years, like the affairs and things for years since the complaint came out and he still has stayed with her. Like I know, you know, people forgive and forget, but I don't know if I could forgive my this husband. Is a lot. If, he, if he put my family through all of this, I, like not even just the affair, everything else, I don't know if I yeah. could ever forgive him. An affair is like a hard enough thing to like forgive and forget if you, a lot of people can't even do that. But then imagine multiple affairs on top of that, faking your own disappearance where if he didn't know anything, where he was worried and stressed the entire time looking for her. And not even just like faking your own disappearance, but like psychopathy behind like branding yourself. They said she was like covered in like bruises, like broke her nose. Like she did all that herself or like had someone do that to her on purpose. That's an insane person. I know, it's crazy. Like I still wonder what he thought. Imagine if someone ran away with you and then they're like, can you brand me? Can you... It's very strange. And then, to, and then to not even have sex with him, which I don't know if that's true or not, but he says they didn't have sex. So I wonder what the story was. I wonder if she ever came clean to the husband at all during this time where she was found and now, or if he ever like picked up any red flags about it. Or I wonder if even like the therapist, not that they can say, I wonder if they can subpoena like the therapist or whatever for the trial, but if they can, um, if they ever like picked up on the fact that they thought she was like lying or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's very strange. I'm surprised she hasn't written a book or something about it. Yeah. I feel like if she wasn't lying, she definitely would have by now. (laughs) But she was kind of hoping it would go away. So speaking of like how people do this for attention seeking, I think it was when I was out of high school and I was like in my early 20s and I was like still hanging out with the same people I hung out with in high school. And one of like my friend group's guy friends dated this girl who was kind of, I know it's like rude to say crazy, but she, you know, we were young and dramatic. Um, My friend 
dated this girl for a long time. They broke up and she was very dramatic about it, wanting to like get back together. The kind of dramatic where it was like she'd show up at his house and stuff. And so I guess she like wanted to get his attention one day and called him and pretended that she was being kidnapped or abducted or something. And she she told him that she someone put her in the trunk of her car and was like abducting her and like driving away and she was like trapped in the trunk. So I guess she didn't think that my guy friend would call the police about this. It instead would just be like so worried about her and would go out on his own to save her. But like a normal person, my friend called the police and the police got involved and they like found her car, quote unquote, abandoned in McDonald's parking lot and she wasn't in it and they like tracked her down. Then she tried to say it was one of our other friends who abducted her that literally had nothing to do with it. Like my other friend has to get questioned by the police and then she finally admitted she was lying. Like how embarrassing. I just can't imagine <laughs> going to those lengths. It's crazy. <laughs> And it's like, here I am, at least 10 years later, still laughing about it. <laughs> I don't, um, like with Madison, like, I feel like probably deleting their social media and things like that is a good move for her. Yeah, especially if she's trying to just, like, get back to normal life. To I just had a look and Zach um, still got his Instagrams up. His last, on his Facebook up, the last public post was July 30, 2021. And it's a photo of him and it says, New York, New Look fits and then like a crying face so i don't really know what's going on with that but he's gonna um, find another girl another underage girl to <laughs> tell that he's going to commit suicide or whatever yeah how embarrassing it's all embarrassing that's what it is like especially for him now he's in his 30s you just think oh my gosh yeah very embarrassing so i tried to see if there are any stats on kind of faked abductions or kidnappings but there isn't really many official studies that i can find I did find an interesting Australian article, though, from the Sun Herald about fate kidnappings and the reasons for them. And when you, when I talk about these stats, you have to remember that there's only around 8 million people in the state of New South Wales. So their numbers might seem quite low, but it's also a low, I guess, sample size. The article said around 30 people have faked their own kidnappings in New South Wales in the past year. Among a spate of false reports to New South Wales police have been cases involving ransom demands to relatives, handcuffs, and faked injuries. New South Wales has Australia's highest recorded kidnapping rate with 6.9 abductions per 100,000 people. However, out of 238 cases out of alleged abduction, only 50, 57% actually involved an abduction. One third of victims experienced an attempted abduction and 4% of cases did not fall into the legal description of abduction. So I guess that kind of is a grey area to, you know, what someone classifies as abduction may not actually be correct. Yeah. There's an interesting quote from a psychologist named Donald Thompson, and he said people faked their own kidnappings to get a former partner or friend in trouble with the police, to draw attention to themselves, or to disappear and create a new identity. It just takes one type, it's just one type of activity taken by someone as a means of getting back at somebody. I don't know. I feel like Madison's is probably a way of getting back at her family. Yeah. Sherry, I don't know. I feel like Sherry's wasn't, though. Sherry's is a little bit different. No, I feel like she just wanted like attention. I don't yeah. even I like I don't even know if she wanted like money. Like you would think in most like fake kidnappings it's either for just attention like we've been saying or like a GoFundMe type scan, but I feel like neither of those were f neither of these were for money, I don't think. No, I don't think so. Well, no. <laughs> I was going to say I think Madison realized it could be for some money afterwards and that's yeah, why like she gave her then, but she didn't do it to say get a rant, like a big ransom or anything like that. It was just an opportunistic thing for her. Like, Sherry didn't get a lot of money out of it. I saw some theories. They're saying, like, she wanted to get a reality TV show and stuff out of it. 
but like I don't know many abductions in real kidnappings that led to reality TV shows. So I think it's kind of a weird thought. But maybe she wanted like the celebrity of it, kind of like Elizabeth Smart or yeah. cases like that. JC Dugard. Yeah. And I guess it's something that is probably a little bit unusual. Like, you know, you get people who do other things to be famous. <laughs> probably not too many people go to the length of staging their own abduction. I feel like Sherry is just really a pathological liar. Like even the stuff about Mm -hmm. her mum and pretending that her mum gave her the wounds when she was self-harming. It seems like she's always been able to get away with these lies. Yeah. You know, in regards of her life. So maybe she just assumed this was going to be another thing that she could get away with. I guess that's really it. I mean, nothing else is going to happen with Madison's case. I think her case is closed and lucky for her, she got out of it unscathed. Um, I would be interested to hear from her now on if, like, what the fuck happened. Like, did she have, like, a weird, like, mental break and then just decided to go back to her normal life? Like, was she on drugs? Because she just... The way that she came off in the Instagram videos really was not how her family and Cody, like, portrayed her at all. And I get it, like, everyone, when they die, they're like, oh, they lit up a room. Like, they were so magical. But this was, like, wild. Maybe she um was kind of putting on more of an act for Zach. Like maybe the way that they had interacted was very mm-hmm. different to the way that she'd interacted with everyone before. Yeah, especially since she's so much younger than him, maybe she was just trying to like impress him, like come off cool. And I have no doubt, like she probably him being older would have been a large part of the attraction for her. So maybe when she got there and he lived in a you know, a shack with his mum, she might be like, What is going on? Not everything she thought it would be. And he really did, like, he did groom her, it seems, from a very young age, which is gross. Very gross. And everyone seems to just kind of gloss over that. No one seems to really mention that he was actually speaking to a very young teenager at the start. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was doing it again. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that with these cases. Sherry's will be ongoing, so we will continue to give updates on that. Madison's probably closed. But everything that we talked about will be on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com. We'll put all the screenshots we have, the social medias we have, everything if you want to check those out. You can follow us on Instagram, True Crime Society. On Instagram, we post a lot of crimes, updates in our stories. Probably the best way to follow us because that's probably where we're most active these days since Facebook is trying to shadow ban us every chance they get. (laughs) You can follow our personal accounts. They are linked in the True Crime Society Instagram bio. Mine is stephsum underscore. Mine's private, but you can request me and I'll accept it. I'm just like too scared to have a public one (laughs) because like at least if you're going to be mean to me, at least you have to follow me then and then I can block (laughs) you. (laughs) Olivia is much more brave and she is TCS Olivia and hers is public. So you could shoot her a follow. And if you've read those, like I said, they're in our Instagram bio. Then we have our forum. You can check that out. Lots of great reading material. You can have a username. Be more anonymous. That's truecrimesociety.com. And as always, if you haven't left us a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify, please do so and share the podcast with your friends. Post it in your Instagram story. Post it wherever you have the most friends so people see it and we can get more listeners and we can quit our jobs and we can focus <laughs> on the we'll podcast even more. Yeah, <laughs> we could do put much more effort i'd love to put more effort into like the instagram the podcast but unfortunately i work full-time uh, on top of doing this which gets very, very tiring and Definitely. if any of my co-workers are listening to this you didn't hear anything about me <laughs> <to quit. laughs> no you didn't <laughs> but i think that's it anything else yeah. no nope, nothing else 
Thank you to our sponsors for this episode. We've got June's Journey. We've got Fit On. We've got Anna Luisa. Check them all out. We will put all the links and codes and everything in the episode description. We'll also post them on Instagram occasionally, but they're definitely in the episode description. Also, check out the podcast we mentioned, Morning Cup of Murder. Great listen. Daily podcast. Get a little bit of a true crime fix every day. Definitely. As always, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Love you guys. See you then. Peace out. Yeah, bye.